Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God. As a result of not being able to, to see him to prove his existence, many today have excluded him from this world. Many people today are pretty sure there is no God. I read recently that there are even atheist churches where they celebrate that there is no God. However, Christians can exclude God from their daily lives. They live as if God doesn't exist, doesn't see them, and doesn't have much of anything to do with their lives here. They worship him on Sundays, but for the rest, he's not relevant to their everyday lives. They are what are called functional atheists, people who claim to believe in God, but live as if there is no God. On the other hand, there has been growing interest in spirituality over the, the past number of years. People who believe there is more to life than can be seen, who believe that there are metaphysical powers in this world. And if they can connect with those powers, they can empower themselves through them. You can think of Oprah Winfrey when she held her Super Soul Sunday sessions where she interviewed all sorts of spiritual advisors who have a similar idea about God as she does. God is basically a spiritual energy inside you which you can tap into to make you happier in hard times. In the middle of this world, with all kinds of ideas about God, God's being or non-being, we listen this morning to the Bible. The Bible tells us that there is an almighty and glorious God, creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. His understanding is far above our understanding, and yet he also directly, he is also directly involved in this world and with you and me, and is even accessible to you and me. We see that message about God in our text, which is part of Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. I preach to you that text with this theme. There is no God like the God of Israel. We see Solomon express three things about God. Number one, he is great. Number two, he is involved. And number three, he is accessible. God is great. Solomon believed in the greatness of God. He had it made, Solomon did. He was a rich Middle Eastern king who governed his land wisely. He was known over all, all over the world those days because of his wisdom. There was lots to eat and drink. His people were happy. It says in 1 Kings 4 verse 20 that Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. Solomon had built strong walls around Jerusalem and beautiful palaces and buildings in the city. With Solomon, we find ourselves at the absolute climax of Israel's development. God's purpose for Israel seemed to be coming to a wonderful fulfillment. Through that nation, God showed the whole world what a gracious and glorious God he is. It looks as if it cannot get any better. And the best thing of all is that King Solomon hadn't forgotten the Lord, the God of Israel. He still wanted to serve and glorify him as a redeemer of Israel. That's why he also wanted to build a beautiful temple for God. 
He wanted everyone to know that Israel's king, not Israel's king, but Israel's God is above all. He is the real king of Israel who lives among his people. He is the reason for Israel's peace and prosperity. Well, the Lord, Israel's true king, took up residence in that beautiful temple which Solomon had built. When the ark of God was placed in the inner room of that temple, in the most holy place, a cloud filled the temple, and the priests could no longer conduct their task because of that cloud. The glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord, it says in chapter 8, verse 11. And then, while that cloud continued to hang there in the temple, Solomon spoke to the people assembled in the court about the building of the temple. And then, before the great altar in, the, in that court, and spread out his hand toward the heavens, as was done in those days, and prayed to God. He began praising God for his greatness. He said in verse 23, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. God is incomparable. So there is nothing or no one in heaven or on earth who even comes close to being like him in faithfulness to his promises and in mercy. And then Solomon continued to praise God for his greatness in another way. While that cloud still filled the temple, he asked in verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? But didn't Solomon see with that cloud in the temple that God was visibly, almost tangibly dwelling here on earth? Didn't he see how God had taken up residence in that temple in, there in Jerusalem? How could he question that God lived there at that time? But Solomon wasn't questioning God at all. No, his prayer shows a deep, deep respect and love for God. Solomon was wise. He knew who God is. God is so great, so full of glory and majesty that he cannot be shut up in a building. Yes, the temple Solomon built was a beautiful building the three chapters before the one which we find our text are all about how the temple was built. It was kind of a prefab structure. Everything was made to fit exactly together beforehand, and it was built of huge stones and covered on the inside with cedar wood, carved with angels, and covered with gold. But no matter how beautiful and impressive that building was, it could not contain the fullness of God's being. No. Solomon said that even the heavens cannot contain the Lord. Nothing in creation can contain God. Nothing can enclose him. See, the pagans around Israel had temples for their gods. Their gods were shut up in temples. And that's how those pagans could manipulate them so they would be favorable to them, as they thought. That's why they made images of their gods and placed them in those temples too. They wanted to control their gods so they would do their bidding. After all their gods, after all, their gods lived with them so they could make them do as they wanted. That whole idea of controlling or manipulating God was far from Solomon's mind at the dedication of the temple. He knew that God can't be contained or manipulated. 
He can't be contained in a house or a building. That's idolatry. No one can control God. And Solomon's prayer is a warning to the people not to try do that, to think that they have God because of the temple itself. Unfortunately, later on in Israel's history, they did think that they owned God, so to speak, because they had the temple there in Jerusalem. Think of how the prophet Jeremiah had to warn Israel about their sinful lives in Jeremiah 7. They figured they were okay living as they did because they had the temple of God among them. They could sin and then sacrifice and undo all their guilt again, no problem. But then Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 7, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. No, if you do not repent of your sins, I will do to this place as I have done to Shiloh, namely destroy it. Solomon warned about that danger beforehand. And let's not think this couldn't be a danger for us today, congregation. We don't have a temple today, but the church of Jesus Christ is the temple of the living God in the New Testament. And we should never think that because we, do, we belong to the true church, that we can just accept certain sins in the church without any problem because we presume, presume on his grace. If that's how we think, remember how the Lord Jesus warned the church at Ephesus that unless they repented and changed, that he would remove their lampstand from its place. No, God dwells with those who have humble and contrite hearts. Congregation, also today, we need to remember that earth and heaven can't contain our God. He can't be put in a box, so to speak. That also means that we shouldn't limit him to certain places or times like Sunday worship or religious moments like devotions and then think he doesn't have anything to do with the rest of our lives and keep him out of the remainder of our existence. We can't do that. God is way too great for that. We need to let his presence be a reality that we live with whatever, wherever we are. For as Solomon said in his address of his prayer, earth and heaven cannot contain him. We come to the second part. Israel's God is involved. So the God of the covenant is great, but that greatness could also mean that people think he's so mighty and glorious that he's too far above this world to be involved with it and the people in it. How could we, finite people, come into contact with such a great and glorious God? He can seem so vague and distant and so otherworldly. Can there be a link between our small being and his great being? Do I have anything to do with God and does he have anything to do with me? Is God really involved with my life here? While the Bible is very clear about the existence of God, this God made heaven and earth and everything in them, everything that exists, visible and invisible. He is the origin of life, also your life and my life. He is holy and exalted 
But the Bible tells us that he made contact with people here on earth. He spoke with Adam and Eve after the fall. He promised in love to work salvation for sinners who seek him. In the Old Testament, his love went out in particular to his covenant people Israel. He freed them from Egypt and showed the whole world he is mighty to save his people as he promised. And his wisdom and majesty and faithfulness became visible in Solomon's kingship. He gave Solomon the task to build him a house in Jerusalem, a beautiful temple. That temple was a wonderful link between God and his people Israel. In that temple, as that cloud filled it at the dedication of the temple showed, heaven and earth came together. And then in particular, in the most holy place where the ark stood with its mercy seat, where the blood of atonement was sprinkled every time again, that God came among his people was something very, very special. In other words, God, as it were, took the risk that the people of Israel might think they could contain him in that temple in order to try manipulate him. Nevertheless, he still promised at that time that's where he wanted to live among his people, that his name would dwell there in that physical place here on earth. And that's also why Solomon said in his prayer that the people could ask him whatever they needed to continue to live as his people. Listen again to what Solomon prayed for, for instance, in verses 37 through 40. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, or blight, or mildew, or locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, or by all the people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hand toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that you live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Wonderful, isn't it, that you could ask God to help you in any trouble? You could lay it before him by praying in the direction of the temple. There was a link between God and his people centered on that temple in Jerusalem and on the work of atonement that went, in, went on in that temple. That's where heaven and earth came together. And that's where God's attention was focused. Solomon prayed in verse 29 that his eyes would be open to that temple day and night. In other words, there in that, in that temple, the gate of heaven was open for the people 24-7, always. God would listen to his people in mercy and love. But now there's a problem, isn't there? That temple no longer exists. All that happens on that mountain in Jerusalem today is conflict between Jews and Muslims. There's a huge Muslim mosque instead of a temple on that hill where God said his name would live forever. The Old Testament temple project was a failure, we could say. Think of how the people in Jesus' day went about with that temple yet. 
they had made God's house a place of buying and selling, a house of merchandise, as we read in John 2, a place to make profit from the worship of God, a place to manipulate God to their advantage, and God didn't allow that to continue. Only a few short decades later, God sent the Romans to destroy that temple. But what about now? Is there no link between heaven and earth now that the temple is gone? Has God, God now drawn away from this earth and returned to heaven? No, thanks to the Lord, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus spoke of his own body as the temple. People tried to destroy that temple and Jesus, and Jesus' body by nailing it to the cross, but they failed. After three days, Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ now lives and his body is a living temple with God. In him, heaven and earth come together now. We pray toward heaven in the name of Jesus. Then God listens to us. And day and night, God pays attention to what is asked for, to what is asked for in Jesus' name. He always hears our prayers today. He is great, and he is involved in our lives here. For Jesus always lives there in the temple of his body to intercede for us. We'll now touch on the last part of the sermon this morning. In this part, we see that God is accessible. Congregation, we can pray to heaven in Jesus' name and ask God for whatever we need to serve him here. We're connected to God on high through Jesus Christ. By his spirit, he connects us to Christ and via Christ then to himself. In Solomon's time in the Old Testament, the point of connection was the temple where God's grace was played out on that altar in front of which Solomon prayed with uplifted hands. That's where the point of connection was via the altar where sacrifices were brought and blood and where blood flowed. God was only accessible via that altar in the temple when the people prayed toward that beautiful temple in Jerusalem. And from Solomon's prayer, the people of Israel could know that if they prayed from, from the heart towards God's dwelling place there, he would hear. Today we don't lift our hands to a physical temple on earth anymore, but we lift our hearts on high in heaven where Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of God. He is our temple, our way to God's ear and heart. And if God was willing to hear the prayers directed toward that temple of stone in the Old Testament, how much more may we, may we be that he will listen to our prayers directed to him in the name of Jesus, whose body was put to death and raised after three days for the complete forgiveness of our sins. Through him, God is wonderfully accessible to us, not to be manipulated, but to fill empty hands lifted up to him. Do we make full use of that access to God, the God of grace and glory congregation? In all the ups and downs of life, do you enjoy prosperity? Well, 
Then lift your heart to heaven and give your great and glorious God thanks for all he gives you to enjoy. Do you struggle with your sins and sinfulness? Well, do you dare to confess your sins to him by name and plead for forgiveness for Christ's sake and for his spirit to live a new life? Do you deal with sorrow or loneliness? Lift up your heart to heaven where Christ is and talk to God. Ask for his help and comfort. Do you make daily use of God's accessibility in your life? There is a link between heaven and earth, between you and God. That link is Jesus Christ. And God waits day and night, 24 seven, for you to entrust yourself to him every time again. As James writes in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. Let us again praise God at this time with the singing of hymn 42, stanzas 1, 2, and 3, standing if you are able. <clears throat> 